Welcome to Box 2, brought to you in partnership with Best Western's Hotel GB, supporting local, proudly independent hotels. I'm your host, Jimmy Jones Buchanan, and each week I'll be sitting down with players, staff and special guests around Leeds Rhinos to tell their stories, preview upcoming weeks at the club and chat about all things Rhinos. Let's see who I've got in the hot seat for this episode. Oh, what an audacious flick. Myler under the posts. This is Briscoe, he's got support left and right. He gives it to Myler and leads are over. And Rhys Martin, Martin with the ball in field. And Myler is in support. Myler still going, Richie Myler. Welcome back to Box 2 in partnership with Best Western Hotels GB. I'm joined this week by a former teammate of both the Leeds Rhinos and England, the Leeds Rhinos number one, numero uno, Richie Myler. Richie, good to see you. I was um, going through some old photographs last week and I stumbled across a few from 2011, which I reckon was probably my prime year, my best year. It was the first sort of exiles year, I think, and then went into 2012, went to Potstrom in South Africa and you was part of it as well. Do you remember those uh, England moments back then? I do, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, it was a great trip that, that we went on to South Africa. That come off the back of 2012 when our dad, we'd played, we'd played using the, played Leeds in the Challenge Cup final. Yep. Then we played them in the grand final. So personally, I'd had a good year um, and got the call to go to, to, go to South Africa. So no, it was um, a good trip. And you room with Rob, didn't you, Rob Burrow? I did, yeah, yeah. How was that? It was, it was. Well, you, you obviously know Rob much better yeah. than, than anybody, and he's, he's a strange character. He's a joker. It <laughs> was, it was, always um, making pranks and all sorts. But I, um, I hadn't roomed with him. I hadn't much, had spent much time with him until yeah. being put in a room with him for two weeks. So it was a, it was an interesting experience. But no, it was quiet. It didn't snow, which was a good thing. He was worried about some thunder, wasn't he? he uh, yeah, well, the, well, you you remember the the thunderstorms were well, like you've never seen them before. Like it was literally, literally lighting up the sky completely for the whole night. And uh, like you've said, he <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the best with thunderstorms. <laughs> I once uh, was with him in the World Cup in 2008 in Brisbane, and the worst thunderstorms I've ever seen in my life. And he was running up and down the hotel corridors like, Jonesy, why is it like this? Absolutely terrified. Like somewhere out of Team America. Um, I remember being on that trip as well to South Africa, sat next to Rangi Chase for the best part of about 12 hours. That was uh, an interesting one. Really sort of smart, in interesting guy, actually. Um, and it's good, isn't it? When you, when you go on trips like that, I think that's the beauty of it. You get to see uh, and spend time with players that you've seen in that 80-minute window on a Friday night, but you don't know what they're like, who they are, or actually how good they are until you actually play with them. So, uh, real good. Listen, let's reflect back on last week. Tough gig. Red Hot Wigan, 50-0, never reads well. Um, and it's always tough and it, and it hurts. You know me, I'm always looking at the positives and trying to think about moving forward in the future. Uh, and the highlight for me is just seeing Jack Sinfield, Morgan Gannon get a little bit more time under the belt. You know, and we, I always talk about the refiner's fire being born out of adversity, and I do believe those two are two individuals that will carry us on into the future, augmented and supplemented by people like players like yourself, obviously out injured at the minute. But it is good to see Morgan and Jack getting those experiences, albeit in adversity. Yeah, I think I think you just like you said, you touched on then. You've seen a red hot Wigan that are in playoff mode and are ready to go, and you can see that they're in the position in the league that they're in because they're, they're firing on all cylinders. And yeah. 
we had an understrength team, no disrespect to a couple of more senior players. If you look at on paper from the start of the year one to 17, there's quite a few numbers missing on there. But like I said, I think the experience that being in hard fought matches like that and being up against a really tough opposition, you got to take the positives from it. And like yep. you say, obviously having the amount of young players we had out there, gaining that first team experience, albeit under circumstances that you don't really want to be in, but they sometimes bring you out the other side, better, a better player and a tougher player from the back of it. It can add the adverse effect where if you constantly on the back of that week in, week out, yeah. then that's not going to be good for development of a player. And that's why you don't really want to put too many young players in at once. But I think with the situation we're at the moment and Rowan's philosophy is to, to bring these young players through and, and expose them to tough matches. Because if you think when you're in the academy, the, the playing teams and winning... 100 nod nil they're playing and no disrespect to the teams they're playing against but that's not going to improve their development no at all whereas when they play Wigan or St Helens or Warrington in the academy they're hard fought matches and it doesn't really matter if they win or lose in the academy because they're getting exposed to big games so I think for those guys the next step is to be playing against men and be playing against being in tough tough games and tough matches however Maybe not 50 nil is not a, it's not the best way to go. No, it's not easy. You, you've always been a character though, Richie. I think you lead by example. Somebody that does really well, resilient within those storms. Going through injury at the minute, um, I, I was listening to the England Rugby Union preparation and uh, there was a bit of dialogue about the people, the players that aren't playing, like Owen Farrell, for example, and how important they are still, because they're still a part of the squad, they're influential. There's those little conversations that are having. Somebody like yourself and you know the leadership experience that you've got, to have those little whispers in Jack's ears. You know, have you spent the last couple of weeks trying to invest some of your own expertise in, into his development? Yeah, I think he, Jack's a very quiet and he's been around rugby league for his whole entire life, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a student of the game and he's very astute in his own preparation. You, you see him in the gym. He's, he's very much um, meticulous on the way he preparations for, preps for games. and He's his own person. I think he, he, he knows what He's good at knows what areas of the games he needs to work on. I think it's about him taking that next step and, in, and inserting himself. Because if you watch him in an academy game, he he really takes the lead, and you can see he's dominant in the thing. And I think when you come into an adult environment, what well, I was always fortunate, I was maybe got it wrong on a lot of times and annoyed a lot of people around me because I was loud, I was in your face, and I was shouting for the ball left, right, and centre. Even if I got, it didn't. If I shouldn't have had the ball, I was shouting for it. You, you played with me a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I did that from 17 and 18. That was just in my makeup. I, I just wanted to assert myself in, in that direction. Other people assert themselves by just doing the, playing their game well. And I think that's what Jack is finding his feet with. Um, I think going forward, he'll develop into having more certain... Like, be more assertive on the field and I think that'll bring his game up more. Hold that thought because I really want to talk to you about your early days. I remember you coming through and you were like a young, exciting child prodigy. Obviously that move there from uh, Salford to Warrington at the time was, was big news and everybody had their eyeballs on it. Um, the women got a big win against Wigan at the weekend which was brilliant and that informs them going into the playoffs there uh, of, of their current form. Rising tide, going back to St. Helens, um, going into playoffs. Now, obviously, they, they lost to St. Helens in the Challenge Cup final. They've since had the revenge, but it's time for the, uh, the trophies, the silverware, on offer now. They'll have a bit of confidence going into some of those playoff games, but it reminds me of 2012 mm. 
when a red hot Warrington team coming out of that 2011 period, 2012, beat us Leeds in the Times Cup final, and then we had an epic grand final in 2012 there. Interestingly, I remember very little about the Challenge Cup. The negative memories seem to disappear quite quick, but in your reflection, what was the contrasting differences between playing in a big game like the Challenge Cup and then and experiencing the grand final as well? I think I think going back, looking back in the past of it, we, we'd we been there in 2010 yeah. uh, and won the Challenge Cup, and we'd won it in 20, uh, 2009 as well. So I think going to the Challenge Cup, we knew what it felt like, we knew what the experience was going to be. And we were on, at that point of the season, we were on high, um, we were playing at the very top of our game and we had ended up going into that final. It was a close game in the end. I mean, if we can all debate whether Lula Wise tackle on Hudson was actually a penalty or whether it was play on. Um, but like there wasn't much in the game in that one. But the whole feel, the environment, going to Wembley, we knew how that felt. Yeah. In a sense, and as a group, we knew what was that was going to Old Trafford on Saturday, on the Saturday, and that whole feel was just completely alien to us as a team. And I think Leeds at the time just knew how to win. And I, I think obviously looking back on the game, I think Kev Sinfield turned it on for twenty five minutes. He got himself up off the floor after being knocked out, scored a try, kicked us to death and literally just led his team single-handedly to glory. Um, and I think that whole experience, I think it was, they've talked about the Saints team in the last four years. It's, it's a group of people being together and just knowing how to win. Yeah. Knowing how to win those and experiencing winning together creates such a great um, atmosphere and great drive and the team goes in the right direction because Winning together is the biggest thing, as you would be aware of. Yeah, I mate, mean, absolutely came, and that was born out of adversity over the years. And you get galvanised by it, and the, the little visual, verbal cues that you know become part of the game. You just respond in a way where you know exactly where somebody's going to run, what pass they're going to put on, what kick. And I think it's really interesting you talk about the game there in terms of the collision. Kev got knocked out in the grand final. Odson and Lulawai that tackle. Mate, it'd probably got signed die these days, yeah. you know, Lula Y there. When you're talking about head contact, at the time though, it was like that. Oh, we're not too short, it's a little bit grey. And I don't think anybody would have been surprised if it had been allowed to play on, scored a try. It was one of the biggest hitters ever. Um, interestingly, you know, the Kev Sinfield one there, you mentioned it, and I think the game's moving forward in the right direction, by the way. We've got to be really careful with brain health. But Kev gets up off the deck. It's a head-on-head -head collision with Kev and Monaghan, which, as you know, certainly in the other court, is big no-no now. You know, massive, the responsibility of the, uh, the tackler not to be reckless there. But both of them stay on. He gets up, kicks a goal, scores a try, has massive influence. I think he gets um, Harry Sunderland and then is invited to be England captain not long after that. And you think, you know, had it been today, probably goes off, don't play again. And it might have been a completely different outcome. History is uh, completely different. Going back to Warrington, they've had some unbelievable players, some big moments. And I think for me, looking back, that period there that we're talking about, that sort of 11-12, I thought they were red on. They were unbelievable. In fact, the year before, is that the year when we played and expected 
we went to your place in uh, in the, the semis and everybody expected you guys to well, win. that was 11. Was it, yeah, it was 11. Yeah, yeah I gave before. a penalty away and Kev kicked a penalty. So, Richie, yeah. put, Richie was still playing for Leeds home. I think that was 11. He, he uh, gave us the, the, uh, the bye to the final. <laughs> in, in fact, there's an old folk tale. I don't know if it's true that they were that confident. They'd already give you guys the uh, grand final balls. Yeah. So, so I've heard. Anyway, anyway, we went there. We, uh, we shall not be doomed. We got through and, and we managed to get another win. But... Why is it that you think Warrington never kicked on and actually got over that grand final winning hurdle? Well, I, I think, well, 2012, like I just said, I think we came up against the Leeds team that, in, the no, in no disrespect to the whole team, but Kev turned it on for 25 minutes. Yep. And they all followed his direction. And I think that that game was very in the balance and was close from start to finish. That whole year, we could have easily done the double as a Warrington team, and that would have been and an amazing achievement for the club. 2013, we go back there again as in a final against Wigan. Joe Manahan gets knocked out a minute before half-time, changes the whole dynamic. They go in, score at half-time. They go into the dressing room, come back out. It's a totally different game. Yeah. Um, so that period of, I think we won. 2011, we may have won the league leaders. Yep. Um, 2010, they won the Challenge Cup final. So I think that period... And obviously, rugby league's such a small margin for getting it right and getting it wrong. I think either if those finals go the right way, then that's a great historic period for Warrington as a club. Yes. And unfortunately, we just the final line just was on the wrong side, and we were unable to um, to go back to your point about Warrington as a club. I think they're a very ambitious club that have have a lot of resources that have thrown a lot of things at becoming successful. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's just gone against them in certain times. But I don't think they're a million miles off winning something. And I, and I think they've got the ability and, and all the talent to do that. And I think you, you will see them do that eventually. It's just when. And like I said, the, the fine margin between getting it right and getting it wrong is very close. It, it's just like a shark testing blood. Once you've had it, poof, you go yeah. back and you, you, you understand that. I get there. It is a great club. You know, it's... It's got everything you need, all the ingredients, just not being able to get over the line. Context is king. And I often think about you know, clubs like Craven uh, Park with OKR there and what works for them, what works for Lee Leopards, yeah. what works for Catalan is, is all relative to them. I just don't know if there's, there's something missing at Warrington. don't quite know what it is, but all that thought there because another club that you played for in Catalan Dragons, yeah. they've ticked most of the boxes, they've been to the grand finals, they've won the Challenge Cups, they've done the league leaders, but they haven't quite got over the grand final hurdle. Before we get there, though, I just wanted to go right back to what I was talking about. Young Richard Myler plays at Salford's, come out of Widness. Um, bit of history there that I want to touch on as well. And then you have this progression through Warrington, Catalan, Leeds, playing for England and Ireland as well. But just tell me, growing up in Widness, which was a mad rugby league town, back in the 90s, come off the back of, uh, I think, a, a, like a World Club, been world champions against uh, Canberra there. So what was it like growing up for you? Did you always aspire to be a rugby player? Well, I've come from a history of a family that played rugby. Um, like my granddad's brother was Dougie Lawton, so he has a huge rugby league heritage. And from a town that that's pretty much what you do, you play rugby. Um, if you don't play rugby, you either support Liverpool or Everton. That's pretty much <laughs> way it, the way it went. And um, What were you, red or blue? No, I, I wasn't. I just sat on the fence. I was a rugby, <laughs> a rugby league fan. Um, but no, they... They're a massive, it was a massive rugby league thing. All, all my mates played rugby. I did it from five-year-old and I, I loved it. And I, as soon as I started, picked the rugby, as soon as I had a rugby ball, that was all I ever wanted to do. And I was fortunate enough that 
someone saw something in me. I was in working with the witness set up from 11. I think I went into scholarship at 11. John Foran and Roger Harrison, two stalwarts that have always been brought so many kids through the system at one. And if you look at that that final last year, not to think about the the final last year, there was seven witness lads playing. Wow. For two different separate teams. Obviously, we had three: Jared, Sam Walters, myself, and then you've got Percival, Makinson, uh, and Benison, and there's another one that played for Saints. So there's, there were seven witness lads playing in a final. Um, it shows you that it's a town that's full of yep. steeping rugby league history. Um, <clears throat> so f for me, that was all I ever wanted to do. Unfortunately, I played that. I think I was 17. I come straight out of school, and Steve McCormack said to me. Do you want to come training with us? And I was like, well, I don't really like school. I'm not not that good at school. I'm not. Education wasn't for me. Um, yeah, I'd love to. So I pretty much went straight into the first team training as much as I could. I put a fortune to play a couple of games, and then I played the last. Sorry, no, I played the last game of the year was Batley away. It was my debut. Joel Penny gets injured, and he goes, right, you, you, I'm going to play you. And I was like, all right, okay. Grixie was in the team. Scott Grixie was in the team. Brilliant. And. Um, he goes, I'm going to play you. And I was like, oh, all right, okay. So I'll come off the bench. I'm sat there playing up that hill. First ever game. Come on, played about 20, 25 minutes. Did, did all right, nearly scored. And then he goes, actually, the semi-finals, like the Premier League semi-finals next week against Castleford, he's still injured, Joel Penny. So I'm going to play you again. Wow. So I was like, no, he's joking. Like, there's no way I'm in. But I was, I was in. Played live on Sky. I think i come on. We've got absolutely Castleford towers to shreds but I came on with about 20 minutes to go I actually remember it and Terry O'Connor has always still laughs about it to this day I had my pants pulled down on television <laughs> 17 year old someone's pulled me down from behind I had these awful boxer shorts on and he's absolutely <laughs> tore strips off me on the telly Brilliant. and I said to him you're not even like just absolutely tore strips I was like he's got his granddad's boxers on look at the state of him and um, no it was good and it's an experience of I loved it but then obviously Widness went into turmoil after that season because they didn't go, get promoted. Yeah. So basically the club turned around and said, everyone's a free agent. Right. Um, we're going to offer you a new contract, but we're forming a new business. We're writing stuff off, we're changing the board. Um, we're going to offer you a new contract. And at the same time, our conditioner at the time, Andy Haig, says, I'm going to Salford. Salford have just come in from the Super League and they're staying full time. I think you should come there with me. And that's how it all came about. So... Met with Sean McRae at um, Fissel Hotel, I think it was Haydock at the time. <laughs> and sat there, Bomber sat there and just said, well, right, well, come and come and play for me. They were silly with my contract though, because they give, they put 500 pound, what was it, a really small contract, but I got 500 pound an appearance and 500 pound a win, because right. they thought, he's only going to play like five, six games, it's not going to. Um, but what happened was we went into the season <laughs> They play like Northern Rail games at the beginning, so you play like five cup games. And Robbie Paul gets injured. So I'm straight in playing. I played all those games. I then played 33 games in the season. We won 31, wow, wow, won the league, wow. <laughs> won the league, won the cup, <laughs> and got promoted. So I was like, <laughs> you got a pot repeater. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> and you could see them counting their heads going, this is ridiculous. Like, we have to pay all this money out. But the beauty of my contract was as well, what I had was on the thing, quite smart really, that I had, um, whatever the end year wage was, year one, was the start of year two. Oh wow. So you could see them all sat there, scratching their heads, <laughs> like what's going on? So we went from like, say 10 to like 40,000 within like Brilliant. over, and they're thinking, we didn't plan for any of this. <laughs> 
And then they had it again the following year. Right. So they had a three-year contract, and every year it did the same thing. So after like so after two years, Warrington come in, so they went, actually, Rich, you can go to Warrington. <laughs> <laughs> Compound <laughs> exponential interest. <laughs> so that was pretty much... And, and but, but obviously, behind the scenes, perception and reality, people probably, well, wouldn't I imagine, have known this. And it was quite tumultuous, wasn't it, when you were left well, Salford to go to Warrington? Yeah, and I think I got, I got labelled as the villain, in the sense of which... It was quite a bomb of a funny story. I literally was at. We were playing Hull Bradford at home. We were playing on the um, on the Friday, so we were doing captain's run on the field on the Thursday. And Steve Sims comes up to me and goes, "Oh, John Wilkinson wants to see you after the team run. He's up in chairman's office." Yeah. I'm thinking, all right, okay, fine. I goes into a room with John, and John's got two pieces of paper on the table, and he goes, "This is the contract from Warrington, where you get X amount of money, and we get X amount of money." And this is our extended three-year deal. Now, I'm going to put this one in the drawer, and I think you should sign that one. <laughs> so I goes, well, John, I've got, there's 10 games left. We're still in the mix of the season. Like, you, you can't announce that, like, let's, let's, fin uh, let's do this deal, but let's finish out the year and move, and then we'll all part ways. Yeah, no problem. We play as Bradford on the Friday, gets annihilated. Sean McCray walks straight into his press conference and goes... I just want to say we've done everything we can to keep Richie Myler, but he's decided to leave to Warrington. <laughs> so I walked in Monday morning and goes, what? And he went, I'm sorry, I, I was under pressure, so I just decided to do it. Wow. And I was like, thanks. So Punch down yeah. again. But yeah, it is what it is. And, and, but it's important, isn't it? I mean, you can tell that we can look back in laughter now. And, uh, but well, the, the, funnier, the funnier thing was, then I had to then play the next few rounds. I think I played, I think we played at home against Saints the week after. And rightly so, because it, it, it looked like to the Salford fans that I'd been, I'd gone, yeah. see you later, I'm off, I'm going to go get Warrington. Which in reality, I did leave. I did leave Salford and go and join Warrington. But there was more to it in the sense of just with the way that the deal worked and where it worked well for the club and it worked well for me as yeah. a player to go to a, a, no disrespect, but a more ambitious, bigger club. That's what happened at the time. Um, but to play, I think after like 20 minutes of playing, the whole South Stand or West Stand, whatever it was at Salford, <laughs> sang Die, Die, Mile, Mile, Die <laughs> for a good 10 minutes of the first half. Wow. And I remember sitting in the dressing room at half time and looking at Sean McCray and he just wow. shook his head and said, I'm really sorry. Because <laughs> he was just like, I know that this is going downhill. And I, I reckon I only played a couple more games that season and he just said, it's not worth. We couldn't make the playoffs, we couldn't get relegated. You just have to take you out the limelight. No wonder you built up some resilience, mate, at a young age. Moving, moving from there, I mean, it was a high-profile thing at the time. Mm. Going into a big Warrington club, Tony Smith as well, and obviously being a lady, done what he'd done here. I always, I still reckon he's the, he's the guru. Mm. I love, I love watching Tony. I could watch him all, listen to him all day long. But how were those early memories under Tony Smith? Well, yeah, that, off the back of that year, I think because. I ended up still playing. I played for England that season, so we played. Um, no, it was the year bef before that. Actually, I played for. I played in a friendly against Doncaster, uh, against Wales at Doncaster. Yeah. Because you guys were playing. Leeds were playing Saints in the final, so there was about fourteen players playing in that game that were all going. And so there was no halves. I think me and Martin Gleeson played in the halves. Right. Um, at Doncaster, I think we won something like ninety odd six or something. That was two thousand and eight. So then two thousand and nine. Um, I was in the Four Nations, so Smithy still picked me to play, even though I'd had an indifferent year at Salford and come out of the thing. 
I think it obviously you'd have to ask him, but I think he had an eye on future. I was going to Warrington, experience bring me into the squad. So I played, I played in that Four Nations competition, 2009 for England. And I don't know if you it was you you would have been no I don't know no nine no no nine so. Yeah, and then we pl I played the first game against France and Jean-Philippe Bale absolutely <sighs> knocked me into next week at like three minutes to go, out cold. I stepped off my right foot and he just went whack right on my chin. Completely out cold, fast asleep. And I didn't play the rest of the competition. I then stupidly finished that, that tournament and went to Thailand for two weeks with Chris Bridge. <laughs> oh, so, wow. so I come back from being in there, two weeks in... Thailand, straight into pre-season, I walked through the front door and Smithy tossed strips off me. It was like, what have you been doing? Like basically, you look like you've been eating a burger for two weeks, you look like you've done nothing, and that absolutely, so that, starting, <laughs> starting off at Warrington, I'd gone in on a big contract, big transfer fee, I'd had two weeks away thinking it was really big time, and then I was like, right, straight back down to earth, <laughs> flogging, but no, Smithy was good because he was you. You worked with him for a while, and he was a big on being a good person and yeah. making sure that as little things like you had the right kit on, you had the right, you're on time, you're punctual. So he, he gave me a good grounding for my professional career at the very, very beginning on what you do in a work environment and how you conduct yourself in a work environment and how you go about your business and how you train and how you prepare for um, games. And um, it was hard. It was hard because obviously I was an 18, 19 year old that had had a big load of transfer fee on me and had all the pressure of being in an environment and, and the, pers the personality I was, I was not cocky, but I was up in front because I think if you're as a halfback coming into an environment with the likes of Adrian Morley, Lee Breers, Michael Monaghan, all these big name players, you have to have it's like fight or flight, isn't it? You have to either stand at the front and go, come on then, let's go, or yeah. you cower into it and try and build slowly. But And whether that was right or wrong at times, I probably got it wrong an awful lot of the time, but I was happy to stand at the front. It was good, Tony, mate. It was all about behaviours and uh, a lot of what he indoctrinated into me at the time still with me now, for sure. So a great time at Warrington. Um, and then you ended up going to Catalans. Obviously, we've got Catalans this week, so it's really relevant. I'll be honest with you, mate, I, I get a nosebleed when I leave Leeds and I never had any inkling of going anywhere else anyway, but if I had done, I think Catalan probably been the last place in the yeah. world just for the travel. Interestingly, my mum had a house over there for about 15 years, so Catalan became almost their second team. But why Catalan? What made you make the decision at the time and what was the experience like? Um, and again, it was another one of those, rugby league can be quite a, not fickle sport in a sense of, but you the turnover of what a coach wants or what they want to move you on or what, however it works out. Or I think my contract was coming to an end. There was talk I was going to stay at Warrington and extend and there was, um, oh yeah, there could be a contract for you and there might not be. And time was pushing on and I think we got to maybe June, July and it still hadn't fully been sorted. Um, and I started to get a, a sense of, obviously, they want to move me on. This isn't actually what's going to happen. And Michael Monaghan went from playing the year before with him who I was good friends with to be an assistant coach for Catalan. Right. So, because he was going, he says, "Do you want to come here? Would you Would you fancy going at, at the time?" I was like, "Well, I want to stay at Warrington, but I'm not. I'm not sure what's happening." And then all of a sudden, they announced that Kirk Gidley had signed. So I was like, "Well, that's my time's up." Um, so then it, it all happened really quickly. 
Yeah, moved to France. I think it was a, it was one of those. They were an ambitious club. We, the, the amount of players that they signed, as I'd signed, was ridiculous. I thought this is on paper. Yeah, it was either the loosest team or the the most talented team put put in one room together. Because I think we had what did we have? Todd Carney, Willie Mason, Dave Taylor, Glenn Stewart, Justin Horro was in the Polly Ayton. So they were all Chris and Inu, like lots of stars. Yeah. But had all had checkered pasts in the nicest, no, no disrespect to them. Characters. But amazing players and yeah. such a talented rugby team. So the opposite, oh, Pat Richards was in there as well. So I think the, the talent that was on, that was gone, that had gone there, I was excited for. And the first season we had a really good, we were mid, we were like mid table, trying to, I don't know if we made the playoffs or not, I can't remember how it worked out, but we, it was a good experience. And, Living there and playing there is completely different to being a player over here and, and travelling for okay. one week. Right. Because you you adapt to the climate better, you adapt, obviously it gets warm with you, you and you, you're training in it every day, so you, you embrace it. It's not as big of a shock, whereas when the lads go over, when we go over now, it's like you go from 10 degrees <laughs> to 32 degrees and it's like, it's a shock and it's like, whoa, I've got to get used to this environment. So... That's definitely an advantage for them over there, and, and I, I do think that when you embrace the culture and you embrace the, um, you get over the language barrier and you get over the the way, <laughs> different way of living because it's a slower way of life over there. Like they, banks just shut for no reason, <laughs> or, or shops just shut for no reason. Like I think we landed on the sun Saturday, and we didn't have any any groceries or anything. And I says, right, well. It's all right. We'll we'll just get settled, and I'll, I'll go to the supermarket tomorrow, and we'll get I'll get everything. Got up in the morning, and nowhere was open, and I was thinking, surely there's a corner shop, or surely there's a there's something that there's an off license that's open that I can get something from milk, anything. No, it's Sunday. <laughs> I was like, well, that's just ridiculous. And he's like, well, we just shut everything's shut on a Sunday. Bit different. To I witness. was like, I just thought, yeah, a bit different to witness where you can go down the corner <laughs> shop and get anything. But no, I think, and but once you embrace that lifestyle, and once you embrace the slow way of being a bit calmer in the nicest possible way and, and planning a bit further, then you really enjoy it. And I think the, the the downside that we had as a group at that time was that as soon as June, July, August comes, it literally turns into Ibiza. Right. Like so Cane Plage, which become is a ghost town for the majority of the year. So you go into like <laughs> three coffee shops, that's it in the whole of Cannes Plage and one supermarket and one restaurant. And you're like seeing the old same French blokes sat there smoking 50 odd rollies in, in the morning. It literally changes from that to Ibiza within wow. over pretty much within a three week period. All these beach bars get popped up and it's just carnage. So having a group of players together that like to have a beer, that like to go out and have a good time, and then tell them they can't do those things when they're also living on their own in all these beach bars. Yeah, was definitely a, re a recipe for disaster. Well, that's kind of you know what? As a, as a coach, as a manager, they, these are the types of things that we're not always aware, privy to. That you've got to manage without a doubt when it falls down at times. Interestingly, I, I was there. I think the last game was it is in the million pound game at yeah. Lee, yeah. Uh, and I I was there. And when I think back now on reflection, where Lee. Leopards, as they know mm. now, they were obviously Centurions back then. They went down, it was an adverse moment for them, but they've since bounced back up and won a Challenge Cup, they're in the top four. So it's brilliant for them. You worry that, you know, Catalan have done some really good things 
and have become a revelation since then. Had they have gone down, and you'll know much more than me, how bad would that have been? Would, could that have ended That would have been there. Bernard pretty much said that would be the end. You would not wow. be getting a contract, and that would be... Um, he was very adamant that it would be the end, or we would go into the French League and just say goodbye to Super League, and that would be the end of Catalan at the time. Wow. Um, so what do you mean about think, that game? How did that motivate everybody? Well, everyone feared for their lives, didn't they? Everyone feared... Yeah. Uh, and, and I think because because in that region as well, rugby league is so massive. Like You don't know that soon, but like, it's huge. Like, and to the actual people, yeah. it is so important that they have a rugby league team down there. And, and they're so passionate about it. Bernard puts his life into it. And if you represent the club and you provide and you give everything for the shirt, he absolutely adores you. He doesn't even care what goes on off the field in the nicest possible way with somebody. He does not care. He just wants, if you perform for him on the rugby field, yeah. he loves you to, to bits and he, he'll support you through high heaven. But he, um, no, so we, that's how I ended up becoming, in the nicest possible that's how I ended up coming to Leeds because I got offered a three-year deal to stay, um, but we were going through that turmoil of actually, but that might not even be a club. Right. So I, I'm sat there, Bernard's offered me a three-year deal to stay in Catalan. I've got Ryan McDermott ringing me and spending 45 minutes when it's costing me to be on the phone as well. He's ringing me, <laughs> the EU charges, and I'm stood there. To, you know, Brian can go on and on and on and asking me, <laughs> asking me a million questions. Then I've got Gary ringing me, talking to me about contracts and telling me, this is what you're having, you're not having anything else, <laughs> as he does. And then, yeah, so that, that all that's going on at the same time. So I had to make a decision even with, I think it was before Steve, uh, before Steve had even come in. I think he, he McNamara hadn't even come in yet. He, he was, Laurent had been sacked, and this was all in that same period when Leeds were, um, Leeds were offering me a contract to come and play here for three years, and they were offering me a three-year deal. So it was like up in the balance what I was going to do. Leeds were at the top of the league fighting for stuff, and we were struggling at the bottom. And it was one of those. Do I go back? Do I stay in France and enjoy my life and have um, a great setup and, and really enjoy my, and, and I was enjoying my rugby, or do I go to Leeds and, and really try and kickstart my career again and really enjoy being in a successful environment? So that was kind of the, the conversation. That happened. But yeah, Brian rang me about I reckon I had about in total about four hours worth of chats with wow. him, just constantly grilling me on scenarios and personnel and how would they deal with this and how would they deal with that it was actually really interesting but yeah it was funny it's interesting on two little threads really quick I've got about three more questions I could talk to you all day mate because there's things popping up all the time number one since then Steve McNamara has done an unbelievable job and mm. I, I'm really you know I've, I've seen Catalan's journey for a lot of years a lot of interest and I'm a big fan of that French rugby league contingent and I think he's been outstanding on reflection seeing him finish top of the league make a challenge cup final make grand finals um, how well Steve McNamara done and what will it mean to that region well that, I think sorry just to touch on what I said at the end as well when we come back from that million pound game yeah. we landed at Perpignan Airport and the scenes there were like winning a challenge cup final Wow! and I mean the airport would have been we would have got back at two in the morning maybe and the airport was full of Catalan fans hugging you saying how happy like like just in sure and pure elation of like you'd save the club like and it was that and I, I we actually I remember talking to Steve at the time and saying when the club actually wins something it's going to be unbelievable <laughs> and then the following year they went on and won the Challenge Cup which is yeah. from that ad adversity to that 
um, and the scenes that everybody saw there in, uh, inside of the uh, castellette and everything, that the, the, was unbelievable. And I think that was due to the passion that's down there for rugby league and the way that Bernard's put his life in front of it um, for it to be a success. And you can see now, I think the biggest thing as well, I, I was only that something like the fourth, fourth English player to play for Catalan, maybe fifth. I think there was Leon, Leon Price, Elliot Whitehead, and then it was Jordy Broughton and me. I think I was the fourth player. I may be wrong, maybe a couple more before then. But there was hardly any English that went there. It was just, and right. they saw it as French and Australians versus the English. That's how it was taken as Catalan's journey was, that's what they wanted to do. But obviously with quarter spots and all that kind of stuff, and English players don't class as a quarter spot, Obviously, Steve's gone in there and realised there's a loophole that we can bring more English players through. There's so many good English players there that know the competition. What would be silly not to get them? And as you've seen now, there's a lot more that have gone and been successful there. Like oh. Sam Tompkins has played there, he's he tore it up. Even Tom Johnson's gone there and he's having an absolute storm of a season. So yeah. I think now there's been a, a, a large number of English players that have gone and they've seen, they've seen the worth in that as well because... The Australian player would have to go pay a fortune. Isn't going to come over to thingy, whereas lots of English lads are going for the opportunity. Elliot White as well. He's yeah. obviously been a back row. I've always paid a lot of interest to his story. Your story, Richie, just really quick. And again, I think what I'd really like to touch on is the the selfless nature that you've displayed for me. He's been very much of the spirit of the rhinos in in, in the sense that, like to Luke Gale, other halfbacks that have come in. Obviously, you've been. An halfback by trade, number one now playing fullback. Me personally, I thought it was um, a revelation because when you're in the heat of the moment, picking them three V2s, those bits of awareness and uh, the ability to execute under pressure and the bravery to get on those loose balls to manage players coming out at rook, getting them either side, certainly on goal line. I think that's where you shine as opposed to having less hands on, having to move people mm. around, doing what you do on the front line at the, the arrowhead is where you really excel. So at the t at times in your career, you've had to be accommodating for other players when other players with a lesser attitude would have spat the dummy out, left, caused the chaos, caused the storm. But you've managed to be able to do that. Where do you think, A, that selflessness comes from? And B, as playing fullback, being a revelation, if you could go back over your career, would that be somewhere you'd maybe start? Um, I'll touch the, the second question. I think... Playing fullback is very similar to playing standoff. Yeah, yeah. In my game, yeah, yeah, in yeah. in the sense of the way I I love to support, I love to play a support game. Yeah, like you say, I like to be on the end of stuff, um, and lots of attributes of the two merge into one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had seven on my back for a long part of my career, um, but even in those teams when I had seven on my back, I was almost just doing the role. That I'm doing now. Like when I was at Warrington, I had Lee Breers, Michael Monaghan, and Brett Hudson as yeah. the three other spine players. So technically, I didn't have to do anything. I just had to push support, come up with a good play, and defend. That was literally my job for a long period of time. And when I found it hard in my career is when that controlling player has stepped out of the like has left like Lee Breeze retired Monaghan retired and Hodgson they all went in the same year so those three players leave and they go right Rich now you've got to run the show now I, I'm in no disrespect like I'm not that player that's 
I've tried to do it, and when I came to Leeds, that was my role, to come and be the organiser. And you know, when we walk into that Leeds team, for years, Leeds didn't have a structure, uh, yeah. in the sense of, and the way we're going to playing now, we're going way back to not having such a, you land on this point and you run this play for this play for this play. Like That's not Rowan's way of coaching. Yeah. And that certainly wasn't Brian's way of coaching. Yet the conversations we'd had with him were that that's what he wanted to bring a bit more element of that in. So I walk into a Leeds team that's just won the grand final, that's been together for a long time and say, right, we're doing this now. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> and trying to get that buy-in and everyone's, oh, this is great. Yeah, we work on it. But then as soon as it starts going a bit awry and they, they go, everyone reverts back to what what they were doing because they feel comfortable and actually, no, we want to play this way. Um, so then you become the scapegoat. Is that, well, we're not doing what you're doing because we want to do the thing. That's, that's what happens. That's spot. I think the, the point on being um, adaptable and being a team player is just, I always feel it's your job. I, yeah. feel, I feel like it comes with, you've been around players before that have spat the dummy out and you've been around players that, and in my time, I've had, probably had periods in my younger days when I was, I had to spat my dummy out and been like, this is rubbish, like this is ridiculous, why, why am I not playing? And, and felt that emotion of it, but it doesn't actually get you anywhere, it just makes you look a bit of an idiot. And you, and the end, you lose more respect in the team for, for doing that that way. And you don't, like I got dropped for the 2010 Challenge Cup final because I'd just come in for, um, it was my first season with Leeds, with Warren, obviously, Big name signing. I'd played a bit for a bit of the thing. I got injured. At, I think I did my MCL midway through the season. <clears throat> Managed to get back a couple, about three or four games before the final. And thought, oh, I'm put, I played the semi-final. Come off the bench in the semi-final. So I thought, oh, I'm going to be on the bench again to play the final. The night before Smithy dropped me for the final and said, I'm not playing you. You can be 18th man because he played Monaghan in the halves. Clarky and Mick, um, Mickey Hyam with the, with the hookers. Yeah. So at the, at the time, I was angry and thinking, why on earth that like, you brought me here to play these big games? Why am I not playing? Like I should be playing. But in reflection, when you look back and you think, well, actually, Clarkie had been at the club for fifteen years and gave his heart and soul. He'd missed out the final the year before because he was injured, so he was obviously going to play. Mickey Hyam was playing really well as a hooker, and Monas could easily go in the halves. So I didn't deserve to play at that, in that, because I'd been injured and I didn't deserve to be in that team. But at the time you're thinking, why am I not playing? This is ridiculous. But you learn from that in a sense and you just realise that there's a bigger picture in all of this, like in the sense of, at some point I'm going to leave, I'm going to retire and I'm going to leave Leeds and Leeds will carry on for the next 20 years, just as you've done, like you yeah, was yeah. here for Stoart for however many years and so decorated, but the club's brought someone else in. Yeah. Like now we've got like James Bentley, and James, uh, James McDonald that are now back rowers and, and, and Reese and that. So they, they just the club moves on yep. and you would just become a part of that history of... So if you, if you get hell-bent on, well, why am I not, why am I not playing and, and throw your toys out, then unfortunately you're just going to leave because you're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> That's what happens, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the club goes, well, hang on a minute, no, we're all going this way. You can either come with us or you can kick up a stink and cause a distraction and it's a, you don't need you. Like, we don't need that go away. So I think I, I had a, in 2018, was it 2018 or 2019? I think when, well, it might have been even a bit late, when Luke Gale came in. So when Luke, when Gailey was coming and there was rumours that Gailey was coming, I was saying to Rich, like, what what we're doing? Like, what's the situation? I'm hearing rumours that there's a seven coming. Do you want me? We still had Brad Rob Louis at the time. And I'm, I'm just like, what are we doing? Am I, 
And my, uh, yeah, no, 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 no one's coming. Like, that's not, uh, well, they're in talks, but we don't know what's going to actually happen. I was like, yeah, no, fine, it's fine. End of the season come. I've still got 12 months on my contract. Luke Gale signs. So Rich goes to me, oh, well, you can look elsewhere if, if that's what you want to do. And I was just, so I sat, similar situation as I was at Warrington when I was gone to Catalan, similar sort of situation in my career again. I either say, oh, sod this, right then, I'll go and find somewhere else, or just say, it's at the end of the season, I'll just come back in pre-season, train, put me in what position you want and see what happens. So that kind of just what I, and as be it, people got injured, I go into a full-back role and end up playing, and then the rest is history, I think. But I could have easily spat my dummy out and said, well, sod this then, you're bringing in Luke Gale, I'm off. But I was like, but that wouldn't have, that would have just made me look, one, I wouldn't have got the outcome I wanted because I would have gone to another club. Two, I wouldn't have been successful, I wouldn't have won a land, I wouldn't have been played at Wembley, won a Lance Todd. And three, I would have, my career would have fizzled out a different way, whereas now I've had a really good career and I've loved my time here. And it's because I was able to stick it out when things were going a bit rubbish. Because, and it, one person's opinion is different to another person. So yeah. a new coach might come in and say, actually, you are good in that position. Well, I want to play you there. Or it might say, no, actually, no, you, that other guy's right, you're off. And d just the last thing on, on Rich was, although we started off with a bit, because we do, this, it was funny, because Rich was the same, he was assistant coach at Warrington when I left Warrington and went to Catalan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that same period. So this same situation happened again. Right. Um, but what Rich was brilliant at and what we ended up having a really good relationship and we have still got a good relationship on was he was honest and said this once Gailey had signed he said this is the situation he's my seven Rob Lewis my six you're going to be a bench spot if anything but I'll fight for a spot and he was clear with what he said so he actually gave me a, an objective to aim for and strive for so I thought well I'll show you that I can actually play and then once, once I'd shown him that I could play in those different roles and he respect, I think he gained respect for me in that way, yeah. he then played me because he was like, well, I can't not play, you know, because you're playing really well. Yeah, and you was. Yeah, so, and I think, I think for going from all of that, players that get disgruntled and, and spit the dummies out and, and want to leave, it's sometimes if you ride the storm out, then sometimes you come through the other side and it ends up being the best thing that's ever happened. But otherwise, you go away disgruntled and then you look like a player that's left and gone disgruntled somewhere else. Richard, this is episode 28, right? And I remember when we started this, I said, Phil, we've got to keep these down to about 12, 15 <laughs> minutes max. I could talk to you for another hour. I know I've got training. Yeah, I know. He's going to go training and we've got to get this edited and out. I reckon this could be part one. Because, <laughs> mate, I'm like, I want to keep going. I can see Phil sweating behind camera. Like, we've, got to, we've got to cut all this down. Let's move, last, last question here, obviously looking forward to Catalans this week. I'm the delusional optimist always, mathematically, right? Because Warrington play Saints, uh, OKR have got Salford. If, if Saints and OKR get the results, this goes, and we get a result, this goes into last week, again, obviously against Castleford, right in there. So, a uh, big trip for us, and, and record-wise, our last 20 games, we've got 10 we've got like a 50% success rate which is pretty good in that cauldron at Catalan how do you see this week panning out I think I think it's what we touched on earlier I think exposing our younger players because we're going to have a similar sort of team because there's nobody coming back that, from injury if anything we've probably got more injuries 
So we're going to have a similar sort of team that's going to go out there that played last week. Yeah. And showing how, I think Rowan's challenged the group and as a group we've challenged ourselves as, as stepping forward and stepping towards the towards the danger in the sense of and stepping forward and showing that we can come back from a loss and still perform at a high level. Now, don't get me wrong, we're going to a team that, again, is pushing to be league leaders is yeah. at a point where they they want they're playing ready for playoff rugby and they're ready to go also the challenge of going to catalan the heat and playing under those circumstances is a tough tough ask to do but I, I think the group has recovered well from last week and i think we've been able to not park the result and bury it but in the same token understand how it went wrong how it easily went wrong because the first 20 minutes of that game were nip and tuck oh bear in mind there was the two tries from kicks Yep. Um, which had a swing. Harry, try, Harry Newman, no try, makes a massive swing in the sense of the scoreline, and then all of a sudden fatigue, and you compound errors, and all of a, then you're on the back foot, and the scoreline blows out. Credit to Wigan, but I think learning from that and going forward with a new approach will show the character of the squad, and will give them the most uh, experience they'll need going forward as a club. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out, and hopefully we get the win. So there's always a chance. When there's a chance, there's a chance. Getting back up off the ring, I can't wait to see it. Our uh, reserves are all sorting action against OK out away. 4.30pm kick-off on Saturday. And uh, there's a PDRL festival at Castleford as well. All the very best to those guys. Mate, thank you very much for joining me in Box 2. Really appreciate it. I hope you'll get back to Wendley Stadium, 22nd September. Last game at home, last regular um, league League round um, here at Edinley. I hope you'll be able to join us then. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. Big thanks to Richie. See you soon. God bless.